Hey, Jack, guess what? What? We have a sponsor. Oh, yeah, the Orange Theatre Company. They've been entertaining the central west of New South Wales in Australia for over 45 years. Musicals, plays, concerts and workshops, they really cater for all. Check out the Orange Theatre Company's website and socials for more information on their 2021 season. They just get it right. The orchestra, the talent on stage, the audiences love it. You can't go wrong with an OTC production. And you go at the door thinking, I want to see that again. I go at the door watching you in an OTC show and I go, I want to see that again. Oh, stop it, will you? I think exactly the same about you. Oh, gosh, you're such a charmer. Thanks, mate. Anytime. Welcome to Behind the Curtain. Please refrain from singing in the rain, stepping in time, and learning your lines out loud during this podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. G'day there, welcome to Behind the Curtain. Wonderful to have your company. Of course, you do hear at the very beginning of our podcast that it is brought to you by the Orange Theatre Company. We are so thankful to have them on board. It's great having them sponsoring us, Jack, isn't it? Absolutely. We are so, so thankful for all their continued support. And George, today we have a very special guest who is actually playing one of the lead roles in Orange Theatre Company's next production in May, Beauty and the Beast. It is Leah Griffiths. Leah, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Absolutely a pleasure, Jack and George. Great to be here. Awesome. And Leah, you fell in love with the theatre at a young age, but despite not appearing in your first production of or Annie in 2014, you've had a strong driving force behind your passion towards the industry. What, why do you think that is? I think... Um, like obviously when I was a kid, my mom just had a stack of like musical and Shakespeare DVDs and whether it was subconscious or not, as a child, I always knew that the the play movies and the musical recordings had the longest runtime. So whenever it would get time for me to pick what movie I wanted to watch, I'd pick the one that meant I didn't have to go to bed until super late. <laughs> so I deliberately picked the longest movie. There movies. you go. And that's kind of where I think I subconsciously, my young brain was just like, I really love the idea of stories being told in front of a live audience, especially when there's music involved, because that just adds a whole other layer to it. You're spot on there. And I guess for any parents out there who aren't wanting their kids to get into musical theatre and they saw you doing that, they would have snatched all of those DVDs and movies and everything away from you at that very moment. So it was a real alarm bell that you were destined to get into musical theatre, right? Oh, my God. I, I think it was um, – I, I think, you know, my mum and dad have always – and even my stepmom, um, my all three of my parents have definitely been – advocates for theatre and musical theatre in different ways. Um, there's actually a little bit of a heartwarming story um, associated with my experience with Beauty and the Beast. When I was nine, um, my parents, my stepmom and my dad were actually running lighting and prompting the cues for Beauty and the Beast in Tamworth with Tamworth Musical Society. And they took the night off to take me to go see it. And this was my first ever live musical experience 
And I remember, I don't even remember the opening sequence, like with the whole Enchantress story. All I remember is the curtain lifting and Sophie Jones playing Belle, twirling out onto the stage in the costume and singing the opening number. And my little nine-year-old brain just blew up and went, holy cow, this is the movie but it's happening with real people right in front of me. And this is the coolest thing ever. And that's what I want to do. If there's a way I can do that for the rest of my life. So this whole experience, it, it very much feels like I've come full circle. It's like, this was the show really, this experience with this show is what started me on this, this dangerous Indiana Jones type, rolling boulder of of passion for theatre, especially musical theatre. And it feels really good that after 12 years, I'm finally, like, there. Mm. Um, it's really yeah. amazing. It's uh, incredible. I mean, you're displaying your passion. I mean, what, we're not even four minutes in, Jack, and yeah. <laughs> your yeah, passion, absolutely. it's so, so evident, which is really, really awesome. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about, getting people on who are super passionate about the uh, – so I guess I need to ask you, what are you going to bring to Belle that's going to be different to any other Belle that we've seen on stage? Do you have something in mind? I do. Um. I think, and this is my overly critical, highly informed professional opinion, I think that in a, especially in a lot of amateur theatre productions of Beauty and the Beast, people tend to just try and play Belle exactly as Paige O'Hara played her in the movie. You know, she's, she's sweet, she's caring, she's understanding, she's intelligent, she's independent. Um, and... I don't think a lot of people realise that she is essentially, and this is a very harsh critique of the character of Belle, but in a much subtler tone, I believe that the essence of Belle's character at the beginning of the show is she is a sassy, arrogant, know-it-all teenager who just wants to get the hell out of town. Um, I think too many people play her as a princess the whole way through. And if you do that, there's nowhere for her to go throughout the show. She doesn't have a turning point where she becomes a better person and she has a change in view on the world. Um, if you play it right, her story becomes much less about just initially judging one beastly character on his appearances and learning more about it. And it becomes more about thinking you know how the world works and then being thrown into something that you never expected to happen, that you never could have seen coming, and coming out of that experience realising that you are the same person that you've always been, but you're also an entirely new person who sees the world in a whole different light. And that's something that I think especially a lot of teenagers in small country towns can relate to, and a lot of people who have gone away to uni can relate to. I think... Belle is a lot more relatable than we like to picture her. I think everyone likes to picture her as this perfect, strong, independent modern woman who's just right all the time. And I, I just, I think she's a little more layered than that. Um, and yeah. I'm excited to delve into that. And now talking about experiences, going back to where it all started in 2014 in Annie, 
What was the experience like, you know, even starting rehearsals, then going on stage and actually performing in front of an audience rather than sitting in the audience watching a show on stage? I mean, it's not like I hadn't ever performed on a stage before. Um, I actually played trumpet 11 years throughout high school. So I'd been in bands and ensembles and I'd done solo work in that. But I think the thing that struck me about getting up and acting and singing was it really taught me how to be part of a team um, because I was one of the orphans. You know, I, I was 14. I, I didn't get a lead straight up as, you know, that's kind of you start at the bottom and you work your way up through high school. And I think the first thing that I, I learned how to do was acknowledge that, and this was a really arrogant teenager thing of me, but the first thing that I had to realise through my experience with Annie was I wasn't the only person in the room and I sure as hell was not the most talented person in the room. <laughs> and I had to learn kind of that even though I had to find my place, there was a place in that production for me. And if I found it and I sat in it and I did it to the best of my ability, then everything else would just fall into place around that. Um, it definitely taught me a lot in terms of maturing. I think musical theatre has that kind of effect, especially on teenagers and kids. It's that sense of discipline of you're not the only person in the room, you're not the most important person in the room necessarily, but you do have value. And I think that lesson was paramount for me to learn um, for my journey in theatre and for my journey in life in general. Um, sorry, I feel like I keep going on, on a little rant. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love it. We love it. We love listening to different stories as well. That's exactly right. I think, um, you know, I mean, going back to the whole amateur theatre thing, I mean, you've had experience from a very young age and you've also been able to go off and study theatre media and that kind of thing. So get a real professional insight as to how the industry works. What do you think the most important thing is when it comes to performing or working alongside a team in amateur theatre? Because you've got people who have got talents that are extremely incredible. You know, they've been honing their work for years, but then you've got somebody who's uh, sparky who's just jumped in and said, hey, I want to give this a go. So, so how do you manage that? How do you find that? I think the, one of the most important things to recognise, especially in amateur theatre, is that when casting... Everyone is given the part that they have for a reason. And the direct it means that the director and the panel looked at them, saw that they had something off to offer and wanted to use that. I genuinely, I do believe that you have to work your way up in theatre. I do believe that there's a pecking order you have to work through. But I think when it comes to like just one cast and one set of crew and, and um, executives in a show, there is that hierarchy of who you answer to. But I think in terms of cast, cast and crew, you're all a machine. Everyone has a part and everyone needs to do it to the best of their ability. And the more you can respect that it's not us and them, it's not cast versus techies, it's not leads versus ensemble. It, we're all a team. We're an amateur theatre company and everyone is included in that and everyone has a place in that. And if you, if you can find where you fit in that and understand that you have that fit for a reason and that everyone else has that fit for a reason, 
then you're much more able to trust each other on stage. And I think trust on stage is one of the most paramount things, especially for people who don't do it professionally. Because when you do it professionally, you're all getting paid to trust each other. So it's kind of just assumed. But with amateur theatre, most of you have day jobs or school. So you're choosing to do this outside of that. And I think that's where the trust really needs to come in because you don't have to be around these people. You've chosen to be a part of this team. You've chosen to be a part of this company. And in that space, everyone needs to be able to trust each other. Good answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I love the message that you've written at the end of your bio that you've sent to us and we're going to put it on our social media. You say, I hope that we all remember that in a world of uncertainty, we can always find escape in an unparalleled magic of theatre. Why do you think that's so important? I think it's no secret that 2020 really made us all realise that the things we love can just freeze at the drop of a hat. Um, When quarantine happened, I was practically at rock bottom you know I had no job I had my friend I was couch surfing at my friend's place because I really had very limited living options I couldn't afford to pay the rent I didn't have Centrelink I and everything that I loved I George knows like two of the shows that I was in were cancelled and everything that I loved about my degree the theatre part of it was all taken away and it all became film and media and I'm not I'm grateful for that experience, but it took everything I loved about my degree away from me. And in that space, I think a lot of people started to panic. I think when Broadway shut down, that is when the theatre community started to panic because it was like, if Broadway's done, we're all screwed. And I think the fact that we came back, we came back stronger, smarter, so much more determined to put things on and to bring people theatre. I've heard people say over the last few months that musical theatre has been changed forever. Theatre will never be the same again. We need to accept this. We need to move with it. And I'm like, that's an okay outlook. But I think the other thing we need to remember is that theatre has literally been around since ancient Greece and a lot worse things have happened since then Mm. and if theatre is still around there is definitely some sort of miraculous I I really can't use any other word to describe it there's some Mm. sort of magic associated with that if it can still operate and tell stories and give people that escapism and bring people together then there's something about it that's never going to go away and I find a lot of comfort in that yeah Absolutely. There's some really interesting points in there and, and, you know, something that if we wanted to really delve into them, Jack, I think we'd have to have a a 20-part podcast (laughs) with Leah, (laughs) I think. But look, let's uh, talk a little bit about, you know, you were, uh, as you mentioned there at Rock Bottom, no job, weren't doing any uh, theatre, you said you were couch surfing, that kind of thing. But what was the big sort of break back into theatre for you? Was it a local production? Did you actually go and see a, a production? I don't think there was necessarily a big breakthrough. I think it all just fell into place over time. I think, you know, one thing that my my dad has always said to me is if you're going to do something, you need to do everything you can to finish well. And I think 
I had signed up for dance at that point. And the thing that was in my head was right. Dance has gone online. Everything's gone online, but dance has gone online. And I had only been doing dance for about six months at that point. And the thought that was in my head was, yes, I don't have a springboard studio. Yes, the floors I have here aren't great for my joints, but dance is something that I need to work out. And if I stop that, it defeats the purpose of why I started in the, in the first place. I need to build my skill. I need to get to a professional standard. And that's not going to happen with me sitting around complaining about the fact that everything that I love has gone down the drain. There is still something here that I can work on. And I think that was my kind of clutch point. That was the thing that I hung on to that was like, hang on, if I can keep working on this and making it work, then I can keep working on my singing. I can keep working on my acting. I can keep doing my studies. I can keep looking for a job. I, I can keep going. Um, I can keep going with all these things. And I think I just really tried to stick it out. And once I stuck it out, there happened to be an, uh, a casting call for the Persian Queen. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. George, I know you did a podcast on it. Jack, I'm not sure if you heard of it, but it was an original musical written by a local couple, Phil and Kath Snitch, based on the biblical story of Esther. And coming from a Christian family, I was very familiar with that story and I, I thought it had a lot of heart. And I was like, well, somebody's doing a musical, so why the hell not? So I submitted an audition and I landed one of the lead parts, well, one of the supporting lead parts. And before I knew it, we were back in a rehearsal space mm. and we were learning brand new songs with a brand new script and a brand new story, with brand new characters that no one had ever seen before in that way. And before I could say blink, I'd finished my theatre media um, second year. Somehow <laughs> we finished that year and I'd done a musical and I had a play lined up and I, I'd scored a job with one of my high school best friends and it, it all kind of fell into place because I chose in that moment to find something that I needed to keep working at. Definitely. And we talk about COVID-19 and especially now, in musical theatre, like things are so are run so differently, especially when it comes to auditions and rehearsals. What's it like for you with Beauty and the Beast at the moment? Well, the way we're handling it is everyone's signing in, everyone's sanitising, everyone's staying super clean. Obviously, because of the nature of the show and the nature of musical theatre, we are still like doing contact, but everyone is being so, so careful. We are being so respectful and I think we are definitely going by the guidelines. We are definitely trying to operate in a way that makes everyone feel safe. And the thing that everyone keeps saying is if you feel uncomfortable for any reason, you know, feel free to wear a mask, feel free to wear gloves, do whatever it is that makes you feel safe in that space. But so long as we're all sanitizing, so long as, so long as we're all signing in and we're all taking care of ourselves, we can do this. And I think it's really reinforcing that team mentality that despite everything, we are coming together and we are following the rules. We are doing everything with everyone's health and safety in mind. And we are still able to learn together and grow together as a cast. And I think that's a very encouraging thing. 
Already so far, you've mentioned uh, was it Sophie Morris who played Belle back in uh, Sophie Jones. Sophie Jones, sorry, Sophie Jones mm-hmm. uh, who played Belle back in Tamworth, and then uh, you mentioned, of course, the original movie. But then, of course, there is the live reimagined movie with uh, Emma Watson. Oh my god! Mm. <laughs> so I'm curious to see what is uh, your take, and which Belle do you prefer the performance of? Look, I, I'm the biggest critic. Um, I'm a huge, and I feel so unqualified to be a critic sometimes. But I just know what I do and don't like, and I have reasons for it. So I'm just going to go all out. Um, I think Paige O'Hara is just iconic. Like she was Belle to begin with. She brought that whole character to life. Um, I really think I would have liked to see what would have happened if she had done it live. Um, because I just feel like an animation studio and a voiceover has that bit of disconnect. Um, but, you know, that's the nature of the film. And she still did an incredible job. And she sang some of the most iconic Beauty and the Beast hits that blew up over the world and are still being reimagined today, clearly. Um, Susan Egan on Broadway, she had a very good comedic timing and she was she, she had a very bell-like presence and she definitely looked the part. However, like a lot of people, I think, every time I hear her sing Belle, I can only picture Meg from Hercules. Because, like, that, that's, that's who I heard her as first. And so in my mind, you can only ever really be one Disney princess. You can't, <laughs> you can't cross universes. It, it, and, you know, unpopular opinion. That's a real that's shame for Jack and I. Because we really wanted to play more than one <laughs> Disney princess. Yeah. Oh, look, you, you guys are just Disney. Like, you are all of the Disney princes rolled into two. So, Ooh. like, I oh, suppose. Th- thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, but I think I have a particular unstomachable aversion to Emma Watson's bell. And this is a controversial opinion. But she was auto-tuned. She, they screwed up the dress. I don't know how, but they screwed up the dress. And I'm not blaming Emma Watson it's all about for the dress. this. It's all about the dress. But she wore it. The dress is important. She wore the dress. And I'm like, you know what? I know it's not her fault. But at the same time, <laughs> something went wrong there. And the dress is just, it's iconic. It's its the bell moment. Um. But I think the thing that bugged me most about Emma Watson's Belle was that it was essentially Hermione in the 1800s France. <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> hey. I'm sorry. You asked for my opinion. They're you all know, very negative reviews. No, you know what? That's to... <laughs> not at all. You know what? That's fine. And, you know, the, thing, the good thing about podcasts is that you can be open and honest and go on those tangents that you've been speaking about. And, you know, it's, it's really great that you can, you know, get that out there. And uh, it's so interesting. I think that movie in particular, um, Beauty and the Beast, the reimagined one, I speak to so many people and, I mean, uh, you know, some people love it or hate it. And I think that's like anything, right, when it comes to – so when it comes to people in the creative industry – it's really hard when you're creating a, pro- a product. I mean, you'd know, for instance, when you were in that brand new musical, Persian Queen, you knew that you're going to have people going, hey, I'm either going to love this or hate this. Tell us about the controversy surrounding that, if you don't mind. Oh, boy. Um, that, that's, a, that's a whole box, George. You're asking me to open up. <laughs> the well, look, biggest we're going issue. All out. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to cut out any of this that isn't deemed appropriate or worthy on a podcast. Um 
the biggest issue people had with the Persian Queen was the cultural discord that it created. We did a show set in ancient Persia with an almost all-white cast. And obviously being in Bathurst, our Persian casting is pretty limited. Um, Our Esther was Maltese German, so there's that. Um, But I think the thing that people loved about Persian Queen, and again, people either loved or hated these things. It was such a a divisive it was such a divided line as to what people did and didn't like about the show like some people absolutely loved the character of Haman and they loved his you know his flamboyance and his comedy some people absolutely hated it couldn't stand him or his song and other people loved the costumes and loved how vibrant and showy they were and other people hated the fact that they were so culturally inaccurate um and that people were, girls were pretty much walking around in midriffs and pants. You know, it, it was just, at the end of the day, I think the message of the show and the choral songs of the show were the two things that people really, if people enjoyed the show, those were definitely two of the things that they loved about it. There were some absolutely beautiful pieces written by Catherine Philsnitch and it was such an honour to sing some of them and it was just a real collective experience of the cast, as in we've all come out of quarantine. This is the first thing we've done since we thought theatre was done for good. And I think that in itself was enough of a way to attract people to that show. Mm. And, and now we talk about the people we work with in musical theatre. So we've got our directors, our musical directors, stage managers, the list goes on. Do you think you'd ever give directing a go? Like you've obviously got this vast experience as an actor. Would you ever give directing a go? I wouldn't say vast experience, um, but I am. We have got the annual Sprung Festival for the Theatre Media course coming up, and I. It's funny you say that because I am actually looking at directing a show ah, for that this there year. There we go. I'm and I'm so excited about it. Um, there's this project that's sitting in the background, and we don't know whether we're going to get to use it or not. But I really would love, love, love be, because I did spend some time last year teaching children musical theatre, so like um, eight to twelve year olds. I think I would really love a chance to take young adults on that journey and to show them like the Venn diagram that happens between theatre experience and life experience. Because the things that you learn in theatre, no matter how obscure they might seem, really contribute to you growing as a person and going out into the world as a more open-minded, understanding, accepting and, and curious human being. And I think the world needs more of that. And so if I can, I would love the chance to direct not just to direct a show with like vision and and all the rest of that and storytelling and all the rest, but to individually take whatever company I'm privileged with on that journey of realising the crisscross that life and theatre really have on their path and how to make that a parallel. Mm. Well, Leah, look, thank you very much for the passion Thank you very much for the tangents and the drive. And there's 
uh, I can imagine so much more that we can delve into. And I know that um, I've spent many occasions uh, within a group setting with you geeking out about theatre and just <laughs> knowing that... Do you have... I know you're probably wrapping up because we're pressed for time, but I do actually have a teensy tiny surprise for you guys. Oh, wow. Do you guys wow. remember... Yeah. I think you did Little Mermaid with him. Do you guys remember Daniel Stevenson? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I've kind of got him here. Oh, He's playing our concert. Oh. Daniel. Oh, no. (laughs) We did. Wow. What's going on, sir? How are you? It is a small world. It is a small world. Hello. (laughs) Hello, Dan. We've got got two special guests on the show. That's amazing. Hello, guys. How are you? We're, we're very well. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Just just sitting around, la- lounging around. You're playing a clock. Yeah, pretty, pretty, you're, you're playing a clock yeah, these days, mate. How's that? <laughs> Look, it's interesting being the one of the younger cast members to play one of the oldest characters. It's, <laughs> it's, very, it's very interesting trying to do that, but I I'm I'm loving it. As a as a first lead role, I am I am loving it. Our Babette is older than him. There you go. There you go. Oh well, I guess we've got to experience these things, don't we? Exactly, exactly. But yeah, as we as we said, it's all about the experience, and you know we've got another another show coming up later on in the year, so I hope you're all primed for that one too. Oh, I'm I'm ready. I'm you know yeah. getting ready for that role. It's, it's it's a surprise. It's a surprise for all our listeners too. It, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. I don't even know what it is. Hey, Jack. Nah, exactly right. It's a, it's a complete surprise. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, wow. Well, look, hopefully, uh, you know, when COVID finishes up and when we're all in the same town, we'll be able to do yeah. something like this, which is really cool. Dan, I wish I had some kind of celebration music or applause music here ready to go, but we'll we'll add it in <laughs> post, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good to see that you are both going very well. I'm sure you were, what, just practising lines or something? What have you two been up yeah, to? Yeah, I mean, we kind of Singing did it some off songs. over the last... Over the first couple of rehearsals, and we've kind of just been hanging out. So, yeah. line reading, all the rest of it. Go, you guys. Committed. What I'd like to see. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, but look, Le- Leah, thank you so much for your time. Jack, it's been great having them and her on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the multiples. <laughs> but, listeners, be sure to catch Leah and Dan in Orange Theatre Company's Beauty and the Beast, which is on the 7th to the 15th of May, the Orange Civic Theatre. Tickets are available through the Orange Civic Theatre box office or online at Ticketek. And thanks again, Leah and Dan, for your making your interim... Um, so it's it's sort of lost for words, aren't what's, we? What's, what's, like a, <laughs> um, a little bit gobsmacked. It's just because I'm here. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 he it's has that effect on your, your interim appearance, interim appearance on Behind the Curtain. But Leah and Dan, we'll talk soon. See you guys. Thank you. See you, team. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain. Be sure to give the boys a rating and review and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at behindthecurtain.podcast. Talk soon.